literally an institution in this town of digging up old photos, old stories, collections, everything you can imagine under the sun about this great city. Greasy spoons, dives, old clubs. If you love this city, you're going to love it even more. Real people, real stories, real places. This is the Austin Found Podcast. Welcome back. This is Austin Found. I'm J.B. Hager. And I'm Michael Barnes. And we're going to talk about something from 100 years ago, the Jazz Age in Austin, which would have been a pretty interesting time to see that because it was still a sleepy, sleepy, sleepy little town. But there was a lot going on, and a lot of it was pretty naughty. (laughs) (laughs) That's the best way to describe it, right? Before we get too into it, I want to I want people in the context of their mind to draw a correlation to what's going on now. I thought about saving this to the end, but it makes sense as you're listening to this because you know the jazz age was in the 20s. That's right. And World, World War 1 had ended, a pandemic, the main thing, the big pandemic which we've talked about on this show. Which killed a lot of young people. Of 1918, the Spanish flu, we, they had gotten past that. So people were ready to just unload, right? Just like now. Just like <laughs> now. Right? Just like now. And I, I give people context to the time. It's April of, of uh, 2021 and people are getting vaccinated. We had our first public event the half marathon was this weekend, That's and downtown right. was bonkers. Yeah. And I, and I have this, I kept thinking about it as, as I was prepping for the show. It's like, people are ready to just go wild. Right. We just ended the longest war, or are ending the longest war in our history in Afghanistan. We've had a lot of political turmoil, and so... Yeah, I get this feeling that we're ready to party. (laughs) (laughs) And so keep that in the context of your mind right now, because things are about to get nuts. So when this happened, again, back in in the the jazz age, people got really wild. But let's start with the music. Like, where was the music coming from? Because I I assume in the 20s, jazz, most of these were African-American. So where... The, the original ones were, uh, the original musicians were definitely, what happened was that University of Texas students, uh, some of them out of a pure anthropological instinct, but others just to have a good time would go to East Austin and listen to bands. And that's where it was really hot and happening. Mm-hmm. But then they started their own bands as well. So a lot of the ones that we have records of are the white bands. And of course, to be make sure that we acknowledge this, the white kids could go to East Austin and hear bands, but it was it was not a two way street. Oh, and right. So anyway, yes, we had the time of of John Lomax, the the famous folk music collector who recorded a lot of these bands. And Carl Sandburg, the poet, came to town to East Austin to hear jazz, so and blues and other forms. But uh, yeah, that was the origin of, of of that phenomena here in Austin. Which is interesting to talk about because when you, you talk mostly about music history in Austin, it tends to start 
with 1970 in Armadillo World Headquarters. Right. So it's we don't dip too often into what was happening before that. It was a lively scene. And, and when we talk about sex, drugs, and jazz, yeah, yeah, there was a lot of that. It was a time of sexual liberation. It was a time of experimentation with drugs, mostly uh, marijuana and, and morphine. So, yeah. Really? Yeah. Morphine? Yeah. Where were they getting morphine? Everywhere. It was, it was legal for a while, or at least some derivatives. But, you know, the kids were doing everything. They were, one of the biggest influences was the introduction of the automobile mm-hmm. because you didn't have to go back to your dorm room. You could get an automobile and go down to Shoal Creek or out to the lake and pet. <laughs> How long has it been since you heard that term, pet? That was the term of the time, petting. Petting. And then, ne- and then maybe in the 50s, it was necking. Yeah. And they, <laughs> it means the same thing in the sense of uh, they were touching each other's bodies, mm-hmm. these young people, but they were stopping short of, you know, adult sex. Because there was still, was there still a vibe at this time, you know, no sex before marriage? But how far could you go, maybe? Sure. Right? In fact, one of the fascinating things uh, that comes up in this era is the students getting married so they could have sex and then getting a divorce <laughs> right away. <laughs> oh, just like a plan from the get-go. Exactly. Well, a lot of the stuff uh, we're getting, you and I, from a wonderful book called Austin and the Jazz Age by... Uh, Richard Zalad, he came to Austin in the 1970s, mm-hmm. which was another, you know, wild time, wild time. time. And so he immediately saw the link, the association between the crazy times of the 20s and those of the 70s. But this mostly the people who were taking in the jazz scene were college students, right? Of the ones that transferred all of that to the rest of the city were college students, yeah. Okay. And, you know, let's add to it, you know, women had just gotten the right to vote. That's right, and they could serve on most juries. And they went through this enormous uh, change in fashion where they bobbed their long hair the first time that I know that uh, that ever happened. And they wore these uh, uh, shapeless clothes, which were androgynous, and they acted like men in the sense that they could do whatever they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I try to think of my grandmothers because they would have been, <laughs> right? <laughs> they would have been, uh, you know, young adults during this period. But both of them seem uh, like they were a little more serious at the time. But then they, I only knew them when they were grandmothers, <laughs> right? I know, right? This paints uh, an image for you that probably everyone knows. Like when you hear the name Clara Bow, yeah. it, it immediately comes to mind. A star from silent pictures who actually transitioned into the talkies. Right. Why did she have to pick on me? Plastered. This will help me with my father. I was getting along so well anyway. Let's get married, Nasa. What? Why not? Marry you? Well, somebody's going to. Why not you? You can picture that face. She came and visited Austin at one point. She did because she was filming the movie Wings, which is about World War I biplane fighters. And uh, it was being filmed outside of San Antonio. In fact, a lot of movies were being filmed during this period in Texas because of the weather. And because, you know, you could find a lot of different kinds of locations, which is exactly why the later 
film revolution happened in Texas. One of the reasons. But anyway, she came to town, as you say, and she went and met with the president of the university and, you know, was kissing boys and being a superstar. She was the it girl. That was her nickname. Yeah. Historically. She had it. Yeah. That that indefinable things that attracts people. Huh. Mostly men. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it also had its own vocabulary of the time. Get a load of them gams on Louise. Her legs are like the stock market. They go up, 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 and up forever. And it, you know what it made me think? I, I don't know if I'm going to put you on the spot if you remember any of the terms, you, one or two of them. But it reminded me of having a, a teenager growing up now. They have their own code via mm. text. So the parents don't know what you're talking about. Similar then, right? Yeah, oh, it, it operated in just the same way. It was meant to to get past the parents so that they, they couldn't understand what kind of crazy stuff they were getting up to. And they, the, the men were called sheiks, and the women shebas. We would think of this as very orientalizing, mm-hmm. you know, making an other. But it was all based on silent movies and Valentino. And some of them uh, would end up dressing up as Vaselinos. What is a Vaselino? Well, somebody who was trying to be Rudy Valentino. Ah. But and and the and the the boys generally didn't like Valentino. Uh, they thought it was too effeminate. But they still did it because that's what got the girls. <laughs> right. And if you'll remember glam rock and all mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. and the androgyny during that mm-hmm. period in the late 70s and early 80s, same thing. You know, they may not, you know, particularly want to look like David Bowie, but they were going to if girls. Because girls to. were in love with it, right? So it made it accepted. Now, that's interesting. You know, back to the car thing, it, it, it got so... I guess, out of hand that the university even made some rulings about students having cars. Oh, yeah. No, they they were saying no cars. You couldn't bring a car on campus. Of course, one of the guys that completely broke that rule, he owned the first car on campus, was the guy who's behind uh, the Memorial Stadium and behind a lot of things on campus, Lutcher Stark. He was the first having, wait, having cars? He was the first person to own a car on campus, reputedly. And he came from this ultra-wealthy East Texas family. They made their money in lumber. Hmm. And he just, he had this enormous room on campus that looked like, when you see the pictures of it, like a small ballroom. And um, he just called the shots. And after he left, he uh, and he was a big football fan. He raised the money for the the expanded Memorial Stadium in the 1920s, and he became a regent in his 20s. And he he donated all those live oaks on campus. Hmm. And he also insisted on being uh, on the bench on the in the football games. And finally, and I can't remember. I think it was uh, Bible Coach Bible said no. You got to stop this. <laughs> kind of sounds like McConaughey in a yeah. way. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> a little involved there. <laughs> uh, how did Prohibition play into this time? Well, Prohibition was something that was a very long time coming. Temperance had been something that had been a campaign against alcohol practically all through the the 19th century up until uh, the first two decades of this century when Prohibition finally passed. 
it actually was hand in hand with the women's movement and the, the right to vote movement because women's suffrage because women were tired of their men just being drunk all the time <laughs> and ruining their families and ruining their their businesses and so forth so they were the power behind temperance and prohibition so anyway they finally get it same time as 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 they get the, the women get the vote and so for and I want to say just over a decade all uh, alcohol uh, manufacturing sales went underground, mm -hmm. kind of like the things we think of as drugs now uh, that are illegal. And so it involved criminal behavior, it involved uh, a lot of cedar choppers in the hill country mm -hmm. making their own alcohol and it instills, it, it involved bringing up uh, liquor from Mexico. And everybody seemed to have a dealer. You know, right. and they were well, often. If it, if it came back, I'd have a dealer. <laughs> I assure you. <laughs> well, you know, some of them were German because the Germans and the the Mexican Americans were like, "Are you kidding? We're not doing this." And <laughs> so, especially German towns like Lagrange and New Braunfels, that's where you went for your hooch, mm. or you went west to the hill country. And by that, I mean, maybe not as far as Maudie's on Lake Austin Boulevard it to pick up your hooch. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, the Grange sounds like a hall in a 1920s automobile, I even think if the, you had an automobile. I think that the students who were doing that were like, you know, they were dealers, too. You know, they were the, they were going wholesale. <laughs> <laughs> wow. What were some of the band names that were playing jazz around Austin? And then did anyone rise to the top and maybe right. get outside of Austin, make a name for themselves? Right. Well, as early as 1919, Shakey's Jazz Orchestra uh, was uh, uh, something that was fronted by Jack Tobin, who was the 18-year-old son of a really respected Austin family. It's still a respected Austin family. Uh, some of the other bands were the Moonshiners, appropriately, mm -hmm. <laughs> the Soul Killers, the Firehouse Five, Band It's, Hokum Kings, and the Apaches. And there was the Apache Dance, if you remember that, which was really yeah. uh, uh, slow and sexy. But some of the figures that came out of this scene, not not all jazz figures, were, of course, we've talked about John Lomax, mm -hmm. who became... Uh, nationally and even internationally famous for collecting a lot of this music, the jazz, the, the Western music, the country music, all of these early forums that we would have no idea what it sounded like if he hadn't recorded them. Mm. And he'd just take his, his recording instrument, which had a big horn and everything, like yeah. a Victrola, and out into the fields and just like it would go straight to record on those machines right and or to wax cylinder i'm not sure yeah yeah the the ones that survive are mostly in the smithsonian institution but some of them i believe are at the briscoe center at ut i'm picturing that scene in oh brother where art thou where they went and recorded it may have been something like it was that. based on his experiences and, and his son uh followed one of his sons followed in that tradition and I talked to uh, one of the uh, grandsons who's uh, in the music business in Nashville, and we, we were trying to figure out how the best way to represent uh, his uh, illustrious family uh, in an article I was doing. But anyway, oh, and I was trying to quote at length some of, of Lomax's reporting. 
But uh, another person that came out of this era is Tex Ritter. Jack a diamond, Jack a diamond, and I know you will hold you from a poor pockets of a silver and gold. It's a whiskey you villain, you've been my downfall. You kick me, you've cut me, but I love you for all. Scary whiskey. Whiskey, I cry. If I don't get a right whiskey, well, I think I will die. Now, uh, most people probably don't remember that name, but he was he was one of the most famous singing cowboys, and he got his start here, and kind of was discovered along with uh, others by by uh, Lomax. I pulled up some of his stuff, and at this at this time, o- the older stuff sounded more jazzy. And then as it yeah. got into the fifties, it sounded very much more country to me. Right. Well, Does you that know sound about right. Yeah, and and you know there was there has always been kind of an early swing uh, uh, country sound, and so and all of it. You know, we look back and call it by these genre names. They were just you know playing the music, yeah. and. Uh, they were a lot closer together, and sometimes you'll listen to think about gospel. Mm-hmm. You'll listen to some old old gospel recording, and you can't tell what part of the country it's from, and the race of the people singing, and any of that because it was just all one group of music that came out of the hymns and the spirituals and the other things mm-hmm. from the 19th century. Well, and you probably had a lot of whites mimicking the African American artists. Yes. Right. Uh, in jazz, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. It, it's, it mirrors what happened in the 50s with rock and roll. Yeah. Where the the earliest proponents and talented artists and creative artists were African-American. And, and then uh, white producers, white musicians, maybe thinking they were honoring that tradition. But in fact, they were the ones making money from it. Right. What brought all this fun to an end? Well, the depression. Right? <laughs> in the depression, was I depressed? You know, and I, I went through that in my head too. Again, going back to, are we going to see a roaring twenties again? And and uh, then I thought, oh, then the depression came. <laughs> no, we don't want another one. Of those. Are we going to see this bubble burst that yeah. is Austin, Texas? Well, I will say this: that all those things go into cycles, and uh, every time we're in a boom here in Austin, we think, oh, it'll never end, and, <laughs> I know, and right? then it does. It does. Uh, that story about the jazz era of Austin is out of volume two of Indelible Austin. Uh, I got a quick email here that just recently came in. It says, hey, Michael, longtime listener, first-time caller, like for her <laughs> radio show. That's funny. Also, longtime reader of your work. I enjoy the podcast a lot. I think you guys need to do a segment on the whole first night Austin thing that had great art parades, community activities, general Austin weirdness. Uh, we were so sad to see it come to an end. My vague memory is that there was some money and politics issues with it. Anyway, by far the craziest year, and I don't remember this, I'm sure you will, but was 2008. When they constructed an elaborate, huge artisan wood clock tower on Auditorium Shores and then set the whole thing on fire. I was there and it was crazy, fun and kind of scary and slightly out of control. (laughs) Uh, Very unique for our history, I'd say. That's from John Weizenbaum. 
Thank you, John, for sending that in. The tradition of first night was grew up in in the Northeast, and it was meant to be a, a non-alcoholic New Year's Eve. And city leaders thought we should have one. We had a fully boozed experience on Sixth Street, mm-hmm. and so we didn't need another one of those. So they thought, a we could have this kind of safe, family friendly event on Auditorium Shores. And we could, and elsewhere, but that's where it was centered. And we could also really support the arts community. So they'd commission yes. special things like this thing they constructed and then burned to the ground. I don't know how I missed this. Yeah. And yes, there was a lot of politics and power involved because it was pushed by social leaders who were doing the right thing, but then it collided with who's going to pay for it. And we have a certain amount of tax dollars, mostly from the hotel tax that goes to arts and now music as well and other constructive things. But everybody's always fighting over it. Right. So if you, you put up $100,000 to do this one event or a million dollars and, you know, <laughs> and then everybody's going, well, what do we do the rest of the year? Mm, gotcha. You can always write to us at... M. Barnes at statesman.com or J. Hager, H-A-G-E-R at statesman.com. Thanks for tuning in to Austin Found. Do your happy trails. I'm sorry. Happy trails. (laughs) 